0: No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible.
1: Welcome to Simply the Bible, the through to Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see where Elihu continues his monologue, accusing Job of claiming to be more righteous than God, multiplying ignorant words, and choosing iniquity. We hope you'll join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Job chapter 35 on Simply the Bible.
0: Job's friends could not silence him, but then along comes Elihu, a younger man who sees Job's fault in justifying himself rather than God. Elihu's purpose is not to condemn Job, but to give those faithful wounds from a real friend. Job's response? He has nothing to say. We continue in Job chapter 35. Moreover, Elihu answered and said, Do you think this is right? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? For you say, What advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? So judge for yourself. Job, is it right that you should say you're more righteous than God and that it is of no value for you to do righteously? This is pretty much the same rebuke that God will give to Job later on when he will tell him, would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Verse 4, I will answer you and your companions with you. Look to the heavens and see, and behold the clouds, they are higher than you. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Or if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a man such as you, and your righteousness a son of man. So look, Job, the heavens are much higher than you. Do you really think that you're going to affect God? If you sin, do you think that harms him? If you're righteous, do you think that that benefits him in some way? It doesn't. It only benefits you. So you can't leverage God. You can't expect God to give you something because you've done so much right. It doesn't work that way. Because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. They cry out for help because of the arm of the mighty. But no one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of heaven? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God will not listen to empty talk, nor will the Almighty regard it. And so there are those who go through oppressions, they go through suffering, And they cry out, they cry out in their misery, but they're not crying out to God for help. They're not saying, where is God, my maker? And what he means by that is, where is he? Why isn't he helping us? What's going on here? Now, God does have a purpose in bringing affliction. It's so that people will cry out to him for deliverance, for help, for knowledge, for wisdom. It is so that people will seek him. Psalm fifty fifteen says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. And I believe that this is at least one of the reasons that God is allowing this present coronavirus pandemic. He desires that people, his people, will earnestly cry out to him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their sins, then I'll hear their prayer, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And so we should be crying out, Lord, where are you? What would you have us learn through this? What changes would you have us make? But these people, they cry out and God does not answer. And why not? Because their pride has given birth to empty talk that God simply ignores. Although you say you do not see him, yet justice is before you, and you must wait for him. And now because he has not punished in his anger, nor taken much notice of folly, therefore Job opens his mouth in vain. He multiplies words without knowledge. Now Job's complaint all along is that he can't see God, he can't meet with God, he wants to go to court and see God there, but God doesn't show up. And Elihu's point here is that, look, God's silence does not mean that he's unjust just because he doesn't meet with you when you want him to doesn't mean that he's not righteous and so this apparent injustice of god and that god has not judged the wicked like job thinks he should uh, means that job has loosed his lips in saying things about god that he shouldn't be saying Chapter 36, Elihu also proceeded and said, bear with me a little and I will show you that there are yet words to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe righteousness to my maker for truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. So this is Elihu's cause all along in this Very long speech that he gives. He's speaking up for God. He's speaking on God's behalf. He said, my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Now that sort of seems rather arrogant. One who is perfect in knowledge. Or else it could mean that Elihu is just simply saying, look, I know that I'm speaking to you because these are the words of God that he's giving me for you, Job. Behold, God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings. For he has seated them forever, and they are exalted. So even though God is mighty and great, he doesn't despise People. You know, he loves the people that he's made, that they are his creation. But he doesn't preserve the life of the wicked. He allows their deeds to ultimately catch up with them. Uh, They will dig a pit and fall into it. He does, however, give justice to the oppressed, and he treats the righteous like kings. This reminds me of what we're told in Ephesians that God has seated us with Christ in heavenly places. And if they are bound in fetters, held in the cords of affliction, then he tells them their work and their transgressions, that they have acted defiantly. He also opens their ear to instruction and commands that they turn from iniquity. So there is an imprisonment of affliction. God allows this so that we will see our faults. I kind of see that's what we've been through. It seems like that's what we've been going through. We've been... In a a prison of affliction, housebound, you know, uh, it's not been what we want. But in those times when you go through afflictions or sufferings or whatever, it's so that God will reveal to you the faults that are in your heart. And this is what happened with Job. Because he was going through this time of suffering, God was revealing to him what was really deep in his heart. And he wanted to justify himself. There was this self-righteousness that God was bringing to the surface. It's been said that man is like a vessel with water in it that's at the top, but there's some mud on the bottom. And when that gets shaken up, well, then it muddies the waters. And that was what was happening here to Job. God was using this to bring conviction to his heart and correction, but he really wasn't responding to it. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures but if they do not obey, they shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. And so God allows the affliction in a person's life to accomplish ultimately his righteousness, but there's always the choice on behalf of the person. There's two ways to respond. You can either surrender to what God is doing to say, Lord, what would you have me learn from this? I'm I'm all ears here. Uh, And then God will teach you, or else you can be stubborn. You can harden your heart. You can refuse to listen to God, but you will ultimately perish and be destroyed if you do that. He who, he who is often reproved and stiffens his neck will suddenly be cut off and that without remedy. But the hypocrites in heart store up wrath. They do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth. And their life ends among the perverted persons. He delivers the poor in their affliction and opens their ears in oppression. Now, this word hypocrites really is the word godless. So the godless in heart store up wrath and they don't cry out for God's help. And so what ends up happening is they store up wrath for themselves and their lives end with the perverted persons. Now, these were the sodomites, the uh, male temple cult prostitutes who would sell their bodies basically to earn money for the pagan temples. It's just a reference to the fact that those who resist God will ultimately live among the most wicked people of all. But God delivers the poor and opens their eyes. Indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress into a broad place where there is no restraint and what is set on your table would be full of richness. But you are filled with the judgment do the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you. Because there is wrath, beware lest he take you away with one blow, for a large ransom would not help you avoid it. Now, there's a difference between what Job's friends said and what Elihu says. Job's friends said that Job suffered because of his sin. Elihu said that Job sinned because he was suffering. God would have delivered Job if he would have opened his ear to the voice of God. But Job was suffering the judgment of the wicked and then taking up their argument that it was of no value to serve God. Will your riches or all the mighty forces keep you from distress? Do not desire the night when people are cut off in their place. Take heed, do not turn to iniquity, for you have chosen this rather than affliction. So, in affliction, there's these two temptations that can occur. You can desire just to end your life, and Job was there. He was despising life. He was saying, God, just take me now. I don't want to live anymore. And you can come to that point. Uh, or he could blame God rather than going through the affliction, and that's what he was doing. He was, at first, he did really well, <laughs> much better than I think I would have done. But then as it dragged on, he began to to uh, blame God wrongfully. Behold, God is exalted by his power. Who teaches like him? Who has assigned him his way or who has said you have done wrong? So Elihu magnifies God's power here. This is just the beginning of what he's going to do as he reaches his climax in magnifying the power, the wonder, and the majesty of God as revealed in all creation. And it is interesting because this is the same point that God himself will bring up to Job when he finally meets with him and confronts him. Elihu was intense. These were hard words for Job, but they were necessary words for Job, which is probably why he had nothing to say.
1: You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. To listen to other episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our iTunes podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. Next time we'll see where Elihu concludes his speech by magnifying God's work throughout all nature. What can we say before one so wonderful and majestic? We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Job on Simply the Bible.